right. Welcome in, everybody, to the Phantom Football Podcast. It is a privilege to have all of you with us tonight. If you're new, welcome in. If you're returning, welcome back. We are joined, as always, by Simon Short, Ronan Summers. We couldn't do the show without either one of them. Guys, welcome back in tonight. We have a lot of things to cover, um, a few rules, a couple of themes we're going to hit, some trivia at the end. There is so much to get to. Let's jump right in. Um, Simon, Tom Brady uh, apparently is going to grab a little bit of a minority stake in the Raiders. Uh, walk us through it, set the table for us, and let's talk about it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's always fun to see what some of the best athletes do after they retire, things they get involved in, the things they like to pursue. For Tom so far, it's not jumping back in onto a team, but we'll see how the Raiders season goes, I guess. Um, they might be looking for a quarterback halfway through. We'll see about Jimmy G's health and what the rules are there. But, you know, it's just the things that Brady has tried so far haven't really quite taken yet, right? He, he's not getting into the booth for Fox this season. The clothing line isn't flying off the shelves. The the TB12 isn't hitting for everybody, I guess. Um, so just seeing what he's going to do next and what he's going to find some you know success and fulfillment from is pretty fun. But I got to say, Ronan, I, I'm just waiting for this guy to fully commit to being like a general manager or something like that. I mean, could you imagine this guy like grinding film the way he did as a quarterback, but doing it on like 350 draft prospects and going eight for eight every year? I'd rather see that. Yeah, honestly, I, I see Tom in some sort of position like that where he's surrounded by football every day because th there's a reason why he played football this long. Uh, he loves the sport. He loves everything, ever, all the aspects about it. And he's uh, obviously one of the greatest of all time whenever it comes to playing it, whenever it comes to just being a brain of the game. Um, so, yeah, I I'd love to see Brady, you know, take up some sort of GM role. And yeah, I – I think one team, you know, here in the next decade or so, maybe 15 years, uh, if he wants that, I think at any at some point a team would be willing to give him a spot, right? Like someone's going to be willing to roll the dice. And, you know, I mean, Michael Jordan owns the Hornets, right? So, like, anything could happen. TBD uh, for now. Yeah, for now, for now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, Brady's – but to – for the broadcast thing, right? I'm not really sure why he's not starting now, right? Because he's got, you know, the is, is that disclosed on the why? Is he wanting to spend more time with family, maybe? Or... I, I... <laughs> that was that was a legitimate question. Oh, that was genuine. I thought you were yeah, being sarcastic because you no, know it, it didn't work no. out last time he tried to spend time with his family. Well... <laughs> um, I would say. I would like to take full credit for this. The uh, hashtag save Greg Olson's job hive is strong on Twitter. Um, we don't want anybody else with Kevin Burkhart. You put Tom Brady on the B team, put him over there with, I don't know, Mark Schlereth or, or somebody. I don't, I don't care. Um, save Greg Olson. That's, that's what I'm here for. I'm on that train for sure. How about you, Ben? Yeah, I, I'm up for anything. I mean, I'll, I'll take entertainment value where, where I can get it. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm all up for that. For those in our audience wondering, uh, if Brady were to catch on maybe a 1% stake, how much is he going to get? I'm going to cost him. It might be between 40 and $60 million, depending on how they value it, right? If somebody's going to come up with a valuation, and then they got to got to do that. So I don't know how much he'll actually get. Um, but uh, he's it's like this is going to happen. So congratulations to everybody involved. It's always fun to uh, – <laughs> it's great fun to talk about. 
Yeah, man, kick it in Vegas, man. Who like he's he's already a, a part owner of the Vegas Aces. Just there's nothing like being out in the desert over there. Mountain time for sports is the best time zone you can be in. Just go, go hang out, man. Live life. Him and Jimmy G can get back together. You know they're hanging out. They're gonna go out to the casinos a couple times a week together. I'm sure it'll be just like old times. All right, that's enough of that for now. We're, we're gonna move on to a couple of rules changes here very quickly. Uh, Simon, I'll let you set the table on a kickoff rule change that we're looking at. I broke Ronan with that one a little bit. He yeah, doesn't know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, rule change. Rule changes. Um, yeah, we got a couple to discuss here. I don't know the true standing on if both of these rules have been. I think this first one has been officially pushed through. Let's talk about this one first. The third quarterback rule, where essentially after what happened with the 49ers in the NFC Championship game, um, the league has decided to push through the rule change of a third quarterback can be active on game day for NFL teams, and it basically won't count towards their X number of active game day players, whether it's, and we don't know year to year these last couple of years, if they're keeping the COVID-related rules, where sometimes it can be 47 if it's an offensive lineman, or sometimes it's 46, depending on how many practice squad guys you're pulling up. Whatever it ends up being this year, 45, 47, 46, something like that. You can have a third quarterback that doesn't count to that. The, the league does not want another situation where a quarterback almost is not on the field for a team because of injury. Ben, what were your thoughts when you uh, – or what, what do you think about this rule? I'm in favor of it. I I felt bad for the 49ers that it worked out this way. Um, is it going to cure all the problems if a team just has a complete rash of injuries at quarterback? It, maybe not, but it gives teams more of a chance. So I, I'm in favor of it. Ronan? I'm in the same boat. Um, you know, obviously it sucked to see the 49ers go out the way that they did. Um, but yeah, I, it, it's kind of a, a tough you know, rule to have an opinion on because, or at least to defer on. I don't know how you can you know really be against it, right? Um, because I, I don't think you can look at the 49ers last year and be like, oh no, they deserved it, right? I, I think um, they absolutely should have had a shot at having a competent competent quarterback uh, as their guy in the NFC Championship, Simon. Yeah, my so my first thought actually was, come on, man, this is about strategy. Like, if you're worried about this, just have an active third quarterback. The thing that has brought me around to it is we want what's best for as many NFL players as we can get, right? We talk about all the time, whether it's payment structure, whether it's health-related stuff, whether it is uh, securing a spot on the roster. And who's who's going to be the one to pay if this rule doesn't go through, right? And, and then teams are now so concerned about having a third quarterback. It's it's not going to be they trade like a starting wide receiver to another team to be a start. It's going to be the 53rd guy on the roster. It's going to be the 46th active guy on game day who's like a core special teamer, and that's the only way he can make it make an NFL paycheck. That's the guy that gets screwed if this rule doesn't go through. So at the end of the day, yeah, if this just means one extra guy, quote unquote, gets to get those game day checks, then heck yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. We, we love that. We want to see as many players get those paychecks as we can. Let's hit the second rule that hasn't been pushed through yet. I think it got pushed for another day. So maybe by the time you're listening to this, it has been decided. But on kickoffs, 
right now the rule is if there's a fair catch on kickoffs so in in the playing field, so not in the end zone or not out of the back of the end zone, um, the the offense starts possession from where the fair catch was called for. This new rule is being proposed and discussed where if an if the return man calls for a fair catch on a kickoff from the playing field, so from the goal line and in, the offense would get the ball at the 25-yard line instead of from where the fair catch was called for. Um, this obviously puts the kicking unit at a disadvantage, but in some ways this might help eliminate some like really big hits on return men that are you know starting from bad field position. Um, and obviously it is going to help the offense a ton, give them an advantage instead of having so many plays start inside the 10, inside the five, what have you. Uh, Ben, when, when you hear this rule, you know, what, what are you thinking? I, I still have a little bit of mixed feelings on it, honestly, but I, I'm in favor of it. I, I'm not surprised this is where the league, and we were talking about this in, in, in pre-show, right? This is where the league has been heading for a very long time now. Um, they can't come out and say this too much in public, but behind closed doors, one of their biggest concerns is lawsuits. All right. And, and this is for any business anywhere. I don't care what business you're in or how much money you've got rolling through. Matter of fact, the more money you have rolling through, the bigger concern it is. So they're trying to avoid lawsuits and they realize they probably can't get all this hammered through all at once. So they're going to phase it in over the years. And this is one of the steps to it. Um, this is this is kind of what's going to happen. Ronan, Ron? what do you think? I I don't really love it uh, personally because, okay, and this is going to be not the greatest comparison, but take the physicality aspect because obviously football is a physical game, but take the physica physicality aspect of what I'm about to say out of it. An offensive lineman, right? Pancakes aren't a stat, right, that the NFL necessarily keeps track of, but it, it, it's one of those moral victories for the offensive lineman that they can mentally notch that, okay, that was a successful rep. Now, if you tell them, hey, you can't put a guy on their tail anymore as a pancake, right, for injury purposes, right? That, that's that kind of takes away the the meaning or the perfect rep, right? You can't have a necessarily a successful rep. I mean, offensive lineman is a little bit different, but you get the picture that I'm trying to paint here. For the kickers, right? On those kickoffs. It's already a pretty uh, – I'm not trying to, like, be the ultra defender of a special teamer, but it, it's a pretty, like, strenuous job, right? You're you're only going out there maybe five, six times a game. All eyes are on you. You're expected to do great every single time, and if you screw up, you're the worst in the world at your job. So if you get out there and you do that sky kick and the returner catches it at the five and they can't do anything with it because your coverage team is there – that's a successful rep, right? He has nowhere to go. He's tackled at the eight. If you take that aspect out of it, there's no perfect rep for the kicker, right? And, and this is a really, you know, skewed argument uh, or, you know, side of this story. But I don't know. I don't love it. I, I get, you know, wanting to prevent injuries. But, you know, show some love to the kicker, Simon. Show some love to the kickers. I'm thinking about all the guys that are trying to run down the kickoff, right? Because – yeah, when we think about the health aspect, obviously all of our eyes on kickoffs are on the return men, right? So we see that they're not going to get blasted. But we still have 22 or 20 other guys that are out there running into each other, right? So those guys that are running all the way down the field uh, on the kickoff unit, 
they're not going to know he's going to make the fair catch until he's there. So they're still running 70 yards at full speed where anything could happen. And then are we going to get into a situation where we've seen defensively, right, with all the rule changes about hitting a quarterback and how and when you and where you can do that as a defensive lineman, we've seen those defensive linemen then hurt themselves trying to make sure that they don't make an illegal hit on the quarterback. So now do I have uh, an L3 sprinting his tail off and then last second he has to dive out of the way because a fair catch happened late um, and he can't, you know, touch him or anything like that. And then you know, then he sprains an ankle or, or something, you know? So there's just so many more ways that this can still go wrong. But like Ben said, this feels a lot just like, okay, we're just trying to make it more motivating for the kicker and special teams to kick the ball out of the backfield, more touchbacks, more touchbacks, more touchbacks. We want to basically penalize the kicking team for not doing it potentially. And then we can eventually just get rid of special teams altogether, or get rid of kickoffs or get rid of whatever. Um, ben, any closing thoughts on this? Now, you guys are dead on it here. Um, this really isn't about making the game safer. It's about image. I mean, it really is. Uh, you can imagine, and again, you can't talk about – the league can't talk about this in front of everybody, but behind closed doors they have to. You can imagine if there's a case that gets all the way in front of a jury and the jury is seeing images of a guy getting blown up by another guy who ran 60, 50 yards downfield versus defensive linemen who are pounding every play – I, or, you know, everybody else, like you said, Simon, who's hitting each other every play. It's really about an image thing. It's about protecting yourself from lawsuits. And and you guys are still dead on it with what you said, too, about this really might not solve anything in reality because you've got guys at the last second who are going to have to spin out of the way of a guy who called a last-second fair catch. And I hate it. I, we, we already know about the quarterbacks and the defenders having to back off quarterbacks uh, at, a, at, a, at a sack. It's ridiculous. But at the at the uh, uh, at the out of bounds, when a quarterback or running back is looks like they're about to step out and the defenders are having to back off a lot. And last second, we see a lot of these guys scoot up for another three to five yards. It's ridiculous. It creates as many problems as it solves. But it's about lawsuits and image. Ronan. Yeah, I, I just one more note. Right. A guy like Devin Hester, while he was playing. The talk was we'll never see a Devin Hester again. We may legitimately never see another Devin Hester again. You know, with this rule, like it, we just may never see returns ever again, which uh, is kind of sad, right? Because you think about some of those guys who've made a name for themselves at that spot, right? Uh, receivers who couldn't quite, you know, make it as a receiver, but they get back there to feel the kick, and all of a sudden, you know, their household name. So, uh, you know, just another you know aspect to this whole thing. And we were just talking about the the one extra guy that gets to keep his roster spot with this exactly. quarterback rule. Well, whoops, six six guys that run down kickoffs and are on the punt unit just uh just you know lost their spot. And then, oh. you know, to luckily we have a time limit on this Zoom here because I'm gonna get talking about the cap a little bit here for Ben. What <laughs> happens if active rosters go down to forty because we don't have special teams anymore? Where's all that money going to go? Ben, you have six minutes for a conspiracy theory on quarterbacks and agents. Do you want to spin it here? I told you I'll work this in for you when we can. No, I'm going to leave it alone tonight, man. <laughs> That's what it's all of our minutes. trivia tonight is about. Yeah, six minutes isn't enough, so I'm going to leave it alone. <laughs> I'm just no, waiting right. for the day the feed posts like a random episode that Ronan and I didn't know about, and it's just three hours of Ben, just conspiracies on the NFL. <laughs> I, I can't wait for that day. But uh, Ronan's right. It's sad to see something disappear. 
but 10 years from now, 20 years from now, the new kids that are watching, they'll never know it existed. I mean, that's, and the NFL knows that uh, they're rightly or wrongly, they're trying to protect their investment. That's what's going on here. All right, let's jump into our offseason recaps. Today, we are hitting the Buffalo Bills and the Dallas Cowboys to start with Buffalo. Let's hit where did we leave off in 2022-2023. The Bills went 13-3. and They won the AFC East, lost in the divisional round. They were second in the league in points per game and yards per game and in points allowed per game, and they were sixth in yards allowed per game. First in overall DVOA, second on in offensive DVOA, and fourth in defensive DVOA. Um, Ronan, just give me your thoughts, man. What, what was the bill? What were the bills like last season? It was more of the same Simon. And what that is, is that they can't get over that hump. Uh, once it comes kind of, it boils down to crunch time. Uh, they kind of folds, not sometimes, but pretty much every time, uh, in the regular season, right? They were 13 and three powerhouse, uh, there at the beginning of the season and didn't look like anybody was going to stop them. And then, you know, come playoff time, trailed off a little bit. Their offense heavily, heavily, heavily relied solely on Josh Allen, right? And I understand why. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal player. And he's multi-purpose, right? You can run with him. You can pass. And he's just all around generational talent at this point. I think they need to maybe use him a little bit less and start maybe running the ball a little bit more um, because their offense ended up becoming predictable, right? Because it's Josh Allen ball. It's going to be Josh Allen ball every time. And so here are the numbers, right? Allen threw the ball 567 times last year, and he also rushed 124 times. That's 691 times you're giving your quarterback a touch, right? And that's also putting him at risk to get absolutely annihilated 691 times in, in an 18-week season plus playoffs. Now, obviously, he's a great player, but you can't overuse him because we've seen with Andrew Luck, it, it, it can go south, right? A couple bad hits, and now you're contemplating retirement. He isn't a make-guys-miss runner either, right? Those 124 rushes, He's not necessarily juking people out of their shoes. He's absorbing contact and delivering contact, which will potentially diminish his health over time. Um, the running backs, they, they've got they, – we'll get to you know what they've done uh, in the offseason. But with how it's set up, they need to rely on them more. Because if they want Josh Allen to be Josh Allen for the next decade – you got to rear it back a little bit and, and you got to make yourself less one dimensional, right? Josh Allen. Yes. He's a great runner and a great passer, but if the defense knows it's going to be Josh Allen ball all game long, you'll end up getting got. Um, so I would have loved to see the bills rely on the run, the run a little bit more last year. Um, Simon, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I'd love to kick it to you and see what you have to say. Yeah, ex I mean, extremely, extremely well said, and, and we'll get into some of the roster moves, but I think a lot of the roster moves have in mind of limiting some of those hits, limiting some of those touches on Allen, um, at least the intention, because we also said that going into last year, and we said that going into the year before, right? Take some of the load off of his shoulders, 
and we haven't seen it happen yet. And whether that's, you know, uh, last year having the new offensive coordinator taking over uh, for Brian Dayball um, and just kind of relying on what has worked, whether and, and they'll be more creative this year, whether that's Josh Allen and his let's say it's going to sound bad, but it, it's not necessarily a bad thing. His inability to kind of relinquish some of that, um, some of that burden, right? Hopefully the, the confluence of good things can come together this year, like you're saying, and, and help limit some of that, spread some things around. I think some of these moves did do that. We'll get into that in a minute. But Ben, when you hear all of that and, and you look at what these bills did last season, what are you thinking? I'm right there with both of you. I mean, this was a heck of a team last year. Statistically, maybe you could argue the best from start to finish, offense and defense. And yet, Ron said it, they can't get over the hump. And one of the things you can point to, you, you I, another thing I would point to is that there aren't a lot of spots on the roster that are exceptionally good. You look at the safety position and you look at Josh Allen and maybe a couple of edges. But after that, it's not as if there are a lot of dominant position groups here. There aren't a lot of weak groups either. But there aren't a lot of dominant groups. But to go back to the original point, yeah, uh, they're too one-dimensional on offense. It allows defenses too easy of a time to just focus on Josh Allen and try to shut him down. And, you know, I think they've worked on it. I'm not sure it's enough. We'll dive into that here in a minute. But, um, yeah, I, I'm right there with both of you. And it's so funny that we think about, was it the Jets game where his shoulder really started to show the signs of injuries last season? And and they still had these stats where they're one of the best offenses, one of the best teams statistically in the entire league, considering whatever week that was, 9, 10, 11, where we felt like there was a significant fall off, but they still continue to be one of the best raw statistical teams and advanced statistical teams in terms of efficiency. So really, really impressive season overall. But yeah, can they get over the hump? So let's look at some of these roster moves, the ins and outs from the free agency period pre-draft. Gone linebacker Tremaine Edmonds, running back Devin, Devin Singletary, wide receiver Isaiah McKenzie, and guard Roger Saffold. In our running back, running backs Damian Harris and Latavius Murray, wide receivers Trent Sherfield and Deontay Hardy, offensive lineman Connor McGovern and David Edwards, threw that one in for Ronan, and safety Taylor Rapp, and defensive lineman Puna Ford. So a lot of names coming in, not too many going out. Ronan, when you see these moves, what are the what's the first thing that kind of stands out to you? Uh well, the running backs, right? Bringing in Latavius Murray and Damian Harris. They've already got James Cook and Naheem Hines, who they acquired last year. They've got four viable backs now, right? And they can go by committee. They don't have to, you know, label one as their workhorse guy. They've got four guys that at any point in the game, really, you can comfortably put them out on the field and expect decent value or production uh, from the position. And that's something that, you know, they've lacked in years past. Um, they haven't had that bell cow guy, and they haven't necessarily had a super deep running back room either. Um, Singletary has been nice, but kind of one-dimensional, and whatever you pair him with James Cook, you know what to expect whenever whichever one is on the field, right? Um, so I liked the uh, acquisition of Latavius Murray and Damian Harris. Uh, they're kind of guys who can do a little bit of everything, uh, maybe not exceptionally well. But, you know, kind of what Ben was saying earlier, uh, that's kind of their mantra, right? Just a not super great, but not super bad uh, room. So that running back room, I, I'm looking forward to see how they do next year, Ben. 
Yeah, and they're deeper. My question is, and, and I don't, I haven't gone deep dive here on Buffalo, but if they're going by analytics, analytically, they're still better off to let Josh Allen handle the ball than to hand it to one of these guys. So I don't know while they've gotten deeper, which is important, it's going to help. I don't know that they've made it necessarily more appealing for Josh Allen to be handing the ball off to somebody else here. So it, it's good. I like it. I, I, I think it helps. You almost wish, and obviously this wasn't going to happen, but uh, if they had been able to get uh, B. John Robinson in the draft, they have been able to move up, you would think in theory you would actually have a difference maker there at running back, somebody that would draw attention off of Josh Allen, and Josh Allen would be interested in saying, hey, give up the ball. It reminds me a little bit, quick story here, Randy Johnson, insane six foot ten left-handed pitcher for the Mariners back in the 90s. Um, he used to give up the ball to that Mariners bullpen with a one nothing lead, and they would give it up. And finally, it got to where he just told the Mar Mariners manager to F off every time they came in to get him because he wasn't giving up the ball. <laughs> and I'm not sure that Josh Allen isn't going to want to do the same thing. Y'all kind of alluded to it earlier in the podcast. I'm wondering how much of a stylistic change this is going to become, though, because these are different backs, right? So if last year's running back room was Devin Singletary, James Cook, and Naheem Hines, those are the smaller, scattier backs in, in Cook and Hines's case. They're the receiving style backs as well. Um, but in theory, if you're going from Singletary as your running back one to Damian Harris, you're adding three inches and 10 pounds, right? Uh, Singletary about 5'7", 205 on a good day, right? Harris 5'10", 215. Um, if you're, you're putting a guy with a little bit more bulk back there, if your best running, as you're saying, Ben, is that Josh Allen power running style, and then you're like, okay, well, we're not doing that with our running back. Let's get a running back who runs the same style. It's a little like having your backup quarterback be a scheme fit for what your starting quarterback does. Okay, it's not going to be as good, but we can do the same things, right? They don't have to have a different run scheme for their offensive linemen if their running back can run with a little bit of power compared to a Singletary. And then you're also talking about Latavius Murray, who is also a load himself. Um, and then you still have Cook and Hines for that change of pace, that receiving style. So that'll be interesting. Ben, I want to kick it to you again for, for this part, the offensive line. Um, here, here in the free agency section, we'll focus more on the idea of S Roger Saffold going out, who I think played almost every snap at left guard. Um, and he, he's still out there as a free agent. And bringing in Connor McGovern from Dallas, the guy we've talked about a whole heck of a lot. Um and we'll we'll talk about the draft pick later, but just kind of these moves because uh, McGovern got a decent contract. In theory, we think he's going to be a starter. Moving from Saffold to McGovern, does that stand out to you? Does that tell you anything you think? It, it doesn't for me. Now, the only thing I think is maybe Saffold. We all know Saffold's starting to get some age and some and some mileage on him. So I, I guess we all figure at some point he's going to run out and McGovern's a little bit younger. So I, that's really what I'm seeing there. Um, the offensive line is decent, solid. It's in there fighting. It's not great. I don't know that they upgraded here. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only other thing, that's a great point on the age. The only other thing I could think of as well is if, if they view McGovern as, as a better pass protecting guard. Um, I don't know if I necessarily see that, but I know Roger Saffold definitely tends to lean more into that run blocking Mahler um situation all those years in Tennessee will definitely do that I don't think he held up quite as well in pass pro so maybe they're hoping Connor McGovern could do that but yeah the age thing makes a lot of sense too as they're 
trying to trying to build something for the long haul here. Um, anything else on on these moves? It, it's hard to talk about Tremaine Edmonds until we get to the until we get to the draft. Ronan, what what else you got here? Yeah, linebacker uh, yeah. is kind of a question mark for this team, right? Uh, with Edmonds leaving, uh, we'll, again, we'll talk about the uh, draft pick here in a little bit, but they didn't really add anybody else. So that'll be interesting. Do they utilize Taylor Rapp as some sort of linebacker? Uh, because, okay, as a Rams fan, he, he's not a center fielder. You do not want him dropping back, trying to contain one of those speedster receivers, trying to burn the seam or something. Um, you want him in the box. He's a pretty solid tackler. He does have a good knack for where the ball's heading. Uh, I wish the Rams would have just used him in the box more often because that's where he was, you know, actually a pretty viable player and uh, a guy that we could actually depend on. But uh, Simon, you you seem to like that idea. Well, what are your thoughts? Can I just read you my my bullet point I have for linebacker here? Can I can I just can I just do that? Um, Wait, hang on. Let me. Do I have a shorter one? Do do do. Oh man, I lost it. But anyways, I I'm on the same boat as you there, Ronan. That's exactly what I was thinking as well. They did not address linebacker between Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Taylor Rapp. Could we see these guys that are all kind of versatile? Like you said, Rapp should really be in the box more than anything. But Hyde and Poyer as well. We Leslie Frazier is out as this team's DC for this year, quote unquote, they say. Um, I could very easily see them trying to do something a little feisty, a little interesting, and run out three safety sets and have those guys just rotate around, right? Have, put those nasty. guys in different spots pre-snap uh, on every play and then even uh, change where they are post-snap on half the time and you just never know which one's going to drop down in the box, which one's going to play robber which one's going to play deep, which one's going to man up on somebody. Um, because even if Rap doesn't have that that kind of athleticism where you really want him deep center field or that real coverage ability to be the one-on-one cover guy consistently, he's big and athletic enough and has enough experience in it that if he's catching you by surprise with it, it can be effective, especially when the other two guys doing it with him are Poyer and Hyde. I, exactly. I'm, I'm in that exact same boat. That's exactly what I had I love to hear it. Ben, look at Ronan, man. He's just, oh my gosh. Just that, so that was a great point. The disguises that could come out of that secondary with Trey White. Yeah, that would be, because you're right. He is athletic and big enough to be able to get to that spot, um, especially with uh, guys like Poyer and Hyde um, kind of helping him out. Yeah, no, that, that that's a great point. And I really hope that that's what they're doing. I will be very disappointed if it's not. Yeah, because they didn't do a whole lot other than that on defense, right? So if if the only thing we know is really a net loss at the linebacker position, you know, we, we, we've said this the last couple of weeks, there's usually a sneaky reason that we don't know about. Sometimes it's because, hey, there's a free agent they're still interested in. But maybe it's because there's a scheme change that because it's the middle end of May still that we just don't know about yet. And we won't know until... OTAs and training camp when reports coming out and, and we get that first Bills report that says Taylor Rapp took some snaps with the first team defense at linebacker and then we're like oh well hey there it is that's that's the thing that we didn't understand what was going to be happening um so yeah we'll, we'll be on the lookout for that I'm really excited about that potential um anything else on, on these move guys before we hit the draft all right let's get into it so what did the Bills do in the draft first round they trade up take tight end Dalton Kincaid 
Uh, second round, they get guard Osiris Torrance. Third round, linebacker Dorian Williams. Fifth round, wide receiver Justin Shorter. Seventh round, two picks, offensive lineman Nick Broker and cornerback Alex Austin. Uh, ben, what did you think of this draft? Now that it's been a few weeks, now that we're talking about it in conjunction with the whole offseason, how do you think the Bills did? I, I, they did fine. I like what they did. I, I'm going to continue this linebacker defense conversation with the third-round pick, Dorian Williams, here. And I'll let you guys hit the Kincaid O'Torrance stuff because I think we're I'm probably on board with what you guys already think there. But you know, Dorian Williams is a guy out of Tulane that I really like to kind of have my eye on at linebacker, but I'm not sure I like him here. You guys just mentioned it. We are basically seeing the Bills let go of Edmonds, and they not only have three safeties, when you count DeMar Hamlin, it's easy to forget because we all we remember the Hamlin injury. He got 845 snaps at safety last year before he went down. You have four safeties back there who have almost 4,000 snaps last year. That's basically four starting safeties of varying talent levels. Somebody's going to drop down the linebacker, which basically means the Bills are getting a lighter defense that's more focused on stopping the pass. And then enter Dorian Williams, whom I really like, but he too is a pass-stopping linebacker. He's not a run-stopping guy. You bring him in for pass coverage. So now you've got this Bills defense, and if it works, it's fine. But now you've had this Bills defense that is obviously – getting a lot lighter. They're a lot less worried about stopping the run. They're a lot more concerned about stopping the pass against guys like Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes and, and Herbert and everybody else. So um, it will help in the passing game, but it does set them up against the run to maybe be maybe be pushed around. Norna? Yeah, those games against Miami might not be too fun uh, for that <laughs> defensive front, right? Um, but, yeah, I, I – I think uh, adding Dorian Williams, right, you have a little bit of better knowledge on him as an athlete than I do, but it does go with the trend of what they're trying to do. Um, usually, you know, like you said or implied, um, if everything's going lighter, you know, usually you'd like to add someone who can stop the run just to have a guy uh, in that area. But, you know, like you said, if it works, it works. Uh, I'm loving, 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 loving the Dalton Kincaid pickup. Or a draft pick. Uh, he he was a lot of people's tight ends one uh, heading into the draft, and then he ended up being tight end one. So it, it seems like the hype was real. He's that guy who can line up in the slot. He's not the end line type of guy who you're going to be uh, having block. But for Josh Allen to have another target now a tight end who you know he's made Dawson Knox a relatively household name. Now imagine what he can do with Dalton Kincaid out there lining up in the slot. I love it. And then I'll go ahead and steal the thunder on Torrance too before I kick it to Simon. I think he can step in there and be a starting guard if you need him to. Uh, Simon, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so much there. Um, I want to hit Ben's defensive point first because I, I that that's such a great observation. They're going lighter and faster, and yeah, you worry about in a league that looks to be trending back towards the run, what that's going to mean. Well, here's what I wanted to pull up real quick on football outsiders. They're, they're the ones that do the DVOA stats. Last year, the bills were third and rush defense DVOA. So very efficient defending the run. If you want to go raw stats and look at rushing yards allowed per game, they were fifth and just, just under 105 rushing yards per game allowed. So they've already been solid in there. They add Puna Ford, who has, has had his struggles, but at least is another big body who's a run plugger. What they haven't had success in is consistently finding guys to get after the quarterback, whether they're drafting Gregory Rousseau or A.J. Epineza or Ed Oliver, whatever it is. 
Last year, they didn't have one player reach double-digit sacks. Gregory Rousseau and Von Miller each had eight, both missed games, but still nobody could get to 10 sacks. So what do you do in place of that? Well, it goes hand-in-hand, rushing coverage. So if your pass rush isn't getting to the quarterback, you need better cover guys. You need faster cover guys to keep up with those guys. Um, Coincidentally, also, on the other hand, if your pass rush isn't getting there, maybe they need more time to get there. So if you have guys that are faster, can run around more, can cover more, then maybe you can get more 10, 12 sack seasons from a guy or two. Um, So I think that would be really, really interesting if we can kind of see that come to fruition. In the draft, uh, Kincaid, uh, I was pounding the table for them to go get Kincaid. Um, I think he's going to play well with Dawson Knox. I think we're going to see a lot of him and Knox on the field at the same time with one or both of them split out from the in-line tight end position. I think that's going to open up so much for Stephon Diggs, who is money one-on-one on the outside. So getting Kincaid as essentially a big slot receiver to absorb some safety you know, attention, I think is going to make this offense more efficient. We thought Gabe, Gabriel Davis was going to be the guy to take some attention away last year. That didn't work out. I think we're going to see that in Kincaid. Um, and then Osiris Torrance, that's a situation. We talked about it with Miami and Cam Smith falling to them in the second round, why they didn't take Torrance. At the end of the day, a guy might just be too good to pass up on. And I know they paid Ryan Bates a little bit of money two free agencies ago. But man, Osiris Torrance at, at one guard spot. And then, you know, you let, you know, Bates try to be that swing interior guy. He's taking some snaps at center. Maybe he's your eventual guy to take over for Mitch Morris. You got Connor McGovern. This team, while it was a pretty good offensive line, I think still needed to add some depth and some talent to really push some of those guys because Bates kind of just falling into that starting role last year. Yeah, I, I felt like probably needed a little bit of competition. Um, Saffold's on his way out, but they they get some good young guards that are going to compete. I, I really like this. Uh, so I'm 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 very happy with this draft overall. Um, it, it kind of falls off at the end. Nothing too exciting there on day three. Even Dorian Williams, like Ben said, probably not going to see a ton of time on the field, but um, a good coverage linebacker who might develop into something. Anything else for you guys on the draft? I'll just end up with Osiris Torrance. He's got every right to expect he can compete for a starting spot this year with either guard spot, to be honest. But mm-hmm. uh, even if he doesn't, that's okay. If for some reason he's not ready or he's underdeveloped or talent, I mean, uh, injuries kicking in, I still like this pick for the Bills over the next few years. You're continuing that pipeline. You're continuing to try to get better and cheaper, and that's important when you have a roster this good. Yeah, the cheaper aspect might be it, right? We we could go into over the cap or, or spot track and see that Ryan Bates contract. Hey, when could they get out of it and save some money if it's, you know, even this offseason at training camp or if it's next year and, and they are just saving some money as the Josh Allen contract gets bigger, you got to pay digs again at some point, you got to pay some of these defensive players, you know, might be might be part of that as well. Um, a little different here at the end for this team that I want to start doing here this week, you guys. I want to rate these off seasons. I want to see where we uh, think about how this team did, put a little metric on it, maybe compare at the end of the off season, track it throughout the year. So Ronan, starting with you on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best, how would you rate this off season for the bills? I'd give it a solid eight. And uh, you know, I don't know how you guys are going to be ranking yours, but Eight to me is somewhere where they impressed me enough to put them in a realm where uh, 
you know, they didn't do bad, but they didn't go crazy, right? They didn't do anything over the top. Um, yeah, they traded up to get Dalton Kincaid, but that, that, that's not necessarily super over the top. Um, and they did lose a starting linebacker, right, in Edmonds. Um, the offensive line, it, it seems like it got better. Uh, so, yeah, I, I've got the Bills at an eight, Ben. How about you? Yeah, I, I've got them at a seven, but really for all the same reasons you got them. I, I didn't hate much of anything they did. I didn't love a lot of what they did. Um, I don't feel like they got worse. I think they got marginally better. Um, I still have some concerns on the roster, but uh, – you know, I thought they were responsible. You look at next year, they're over the cap by a good bit, and they have a couple of pretty heavy-hitting free agencies, guys, so I don't know that they could do a whole lot, but I, I did feel like they they made the roster some better without making it worse, which is important. Yeah, absolutely. I have an eight as well um, for all the reasons that you guys said. I think there were some significant moves here, but not anything I would consider a perfect offseason by any means. Let's go to our next team here. Let's hit the Dallas Cowboys. Where did we leave off with Dallas in 2022-23? They went 12-5. and They lost in the divisional round. They were 4th in points per game, 11th in yards per game, 5th in points allowed per game, 12th in yards allowed per game, 6th in DVOA, 15th offensively, 2nd defensively. Ben, when you think about this Dallas Cowboys team from 22-23, what do you think? I, I really enjoyed watching them play. They were a lot of fun at times, uh, but we kind of knew they were limited, that they had a cap somewhere, and, and eventually they did kind of run into that. So um, if you take Micah Parsons off of that defense last year, that's a middle-of-the-pack defense, man. <laughs> He's so good coming off the edge and watching the difference that a, a light guy can make coming off the edge like he does. Um, so he's the difference maker there. And then the offense was good, um, but – Listen, they good team, fun to watch, but had limits, and they ran into those. Rona? Yeah, I'm in the same boat as Ben. Uh, whenever I think back to last season's Cowboys, I think of the defense and how, you know, maybe two, three years ago, the Cowboys' defense was almost a laughing stock, right? People were making fun of how many points a game and yards per game they were giving up. And now this defense is feared. This, this defense instills fear into opposing offenses and fans who are going to Dallas or even hosting Dallas. Um, th this defense turned the page last year um, and shout out Dan Quinn, who should definitely be in head coach running for, it should have been this year. It seemed like he was, but I feel like he probably could have landed a spot. Simon, what, what were you thinking uh, in terms of last season's Dallas Cowboys? Yeah, this team showed pretty clearly where their weaknesses were um, in terms of depth on the roster in certain areas, but it also showed that it can still hang with any team and I think still has the bones to be a team that's very competitive. We'll get into where it looks for going into next season, but there's still there's still a lot here to work with despite all the jokes. Um, and Dan Quinn, you mentioned it, very key to retain him for another year to keep this defense probably at an elite level once again. Looking to their offense, we could feel a different way. Let's go ahead and get into it. We'll talk about the ins and the outs. The one thing I didn't write in here for the ins and outs, and what might be most important of all, is O.C. Kellen Moore is gone. Mike McCarthy's calling plays. I'm sure we'll talk about that um, in our trepidations there. But from a roster standpoint, gone. 
our tight end Dalton Schultz, offensive lineman Connor McGovern, who we coincidentally were talking about earlier, wide receiver Noah Brown, cornerback Anthony Brown, and linebacker Anthony Barr. In not many incoming moves here, but pretty significant ones, cornerback Stephon Gilmore and wide receiver Brandon Cooks. Ben, when you look at these moves, what stands out to you? I mean, it's bringing in Stephon Gilmore and Brandon Cooks, man. I <laughs> they, they addressed two huge. Hey, listen, they had a decent secondary last year. But if it hadn't been for Micah Parsons plowing quarterbacks after 1.5 to 2 seconds, that secondary would have been burnt a lot more than it was. In spite of the athleticism that's back there, it's so inconsistent. So now enter Stephon Gilmore, and I think you have a potential to be maybe a top 10, top 5 secondary, depending on how things shake out, right? But I absolutely love that they added Gilmore into this mix. And then when you plug in Brandon Cooks on offense, I mean, it takes pressure off of Prescott, takes pressure off the running game, it takes pressure off of Lamb. I love both of these moves, just absolutely loved it for Dallas. And to get it for, like, chump change, too, because those were the exact things that when we went into the offseason, we were like, oh, this is what the team needs are, so maybe this would be the first two picks in the draft. And no, they'll just send a couple day three picks or whatever it was and get two proven NFL veterans already. Um, Ronan, what about you? What sticks out? Dude, pairing Stephon Gilmore with Trayvon Diggs, I mean, you literally can't have a more perfect yin and yang, right? Because you have the technical, prototypical shutdown corner in Stephon Gilmore, and then you have just the gambler big playability in Trayvon Diggs. I mean, that is going to be a blast to watch. I, ben, I agree. Top five, top ten secondary, I think top ten at the least. Um, and, and that's with, you know, kind of average guys at pretty much everywhere else. Um, but other than that, tight end, losing Dalton Schultz, um, it, it was something that after, you know, <laughs> after that horrid game to end the season, or what was it a two-game stretch, right? Final two games. Yeah, that just especially went, that last one, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, terribly. It, it seemed like it was kind of written on the wall, right? He's out. So the expectation was for Dallas to find their new tight end. And we'll get into it in a little bit, but in free agency, they didn't. And there were a couple of guys who, you know, maybe could have made their way to Dallas. Um, who knows? You know, maybe they looked into it uh, more and nobody wanted to come to Dallas. I doubt that's really the case. Um, but that's going to be interesting to see what they do with tight end next year, Simon. Yeah, I'll be honest, man. Dalton Schultz is a, is a good player, don't get me wrong, but I did not care about the Cowboys losing him one bit. Dak Prescott, I think, makes tight ends good. We saw guys like Peyton Hendershot, and I don't even remember the uh, Jake Ferguson have good years last year. I mean, they were they were good. How many times did we see those three tight ends making a difference and, and celebrating in the Salvation Army bucket, you know, in, in the end zone there for Dallas? And I would have been perfectly happy if they didn't do anything. And yeah, they they went for a second round pick at tight end again to continue to add to it. Uh, I'm not concerned about Schultz at all. Um, I'm not really concerned about McGovern. I think that offensive line, uh, at least the starting five, if it stays healthy, which uh, you know Ben has talked about with Tyron Smith in the past, um, is a big big if. But I think those starting five names together work and make sense. I don't think the guys they lost, especially for the guys that they brought in and the guys they already had on the roster really hurt him. Um, so that's why I kind of want to go back through to you guys real quick on the Kellen Moore offensive coordinator situation. So just to remind everybody, yeah, Kellen Moore offensive coordinator who looked like he was going to be a head coach somewhere for the last two seasons, 
uh, was shown the door, and he's now the OC out in L.A. for the Chargers. Mike McCarthy is calling plays, and he's saying some troubling stuff in interviews about getting back to old school. I don't want the number one offense. I just want the number one team. Kellen Moore was trying to score too many touchdowns. Um, that guy's calling plays, and we've seen that for quite a while, and uh, it has had a ceiling on itself in the past. Ben, Kellen Moore out, Mike McCarthy taking over the play sheet. What do you, what do you think about this? I'm very unhappy with it, to be honest. I really am. Uh, I I hate to be this nasty and critical, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Mike McCarthy, I think, has been helped a lot by his coordinators the past two or three seasons, and I don't have a lot of confidence. I'm not saying he's a bad football coach, but, man, listen, when you look back at his Packer days and you see some of the results they had at the end of those seasons, with some of the rosters that they had, especially with Aaron Rodgers sitting there at quarterback, I – I, I wasn't happy with it. I wasn't happy that Dallas hired him. I'm not happy that they're letting offensive coordinators go. <laughs> I'm not happy that he's doing the plays. I'm not happy with any of it. Um, I'm still concerned at tight end, to be honest. I mean, they're functional at tight end. I don't think that they – I don't think they have anything at tight end that defenses need to worry about. I really don't. I think they have nothing. So that wouldn't bother me except – you've got basically three or four other weapons on this offense. Um, you've got Prescott, who's not a super mobile quarterback, so defenses don't have to worry about that. You've got Lamb combined with uh, Brandon Cooks, who they added. And then you've got Michael Gallup, who's fine back there as, a, as an option. And then you've got, uh, of course, Pollard sitting back there at running back. I, this isn't the most talented weapons group in football and it's not the worst so you know where are you going to challenge defenses at you've got the two wide receivers that can do it and the one running back but you don't have a mobile quarterback and I don't think any of these tight ends actually threaten defenses so the combination bothers me a little bit there especially when you add McCarthy doing the play calling here I'm not down on it but I'm not excited about it either Ronan your thoughts on Kellen Moore out and Mike McCarthy calling plays I'm right there with you guys I, I don't love it Right, a year, year and a half ago, Kellen Moore was a guy that it was getting looks at head coaching gigs, or at least you know people were thinking maybe that's the trajectory of where he's headed. Um, you know, right as Ben has mentioned, we've kind of seen what McCarthy can do. There, there is a cap on you know what what he can really bring to an offense and and himself. So I, I don't know how much better the Cowboys are going to be. Um, you know, he's mentioned, right, going back to old school football and getting back to the run. But you know, right now you're running back, you're starting running back as a guy coming off of an injury and you just let go of your, you know, kind of thunder uh, and your thunder and lightning from last year and Ezekiel Elliott, who, you know, sure he wasn't ripping off a ton of you know big plays, but he was getting you that small gain yardage that you need for a first down. Uh, Simon, you know, what are your thoughts on right the the Cowboys saying that they're trying to lean on the run more and then getting rid of Zeke and all they've got right now really is uh, Tony Pollard and then a small rookie who we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah, I good call by you, Ron. Failed to mention that. Yeah, Ezekiel Elliott's not on this team this year as of now. It sounds like you know there it's not un unpossible for him to kind of rejoin this team on a cheaper contract. But yeah, I mean, Mike McCarthy's saying he wants to run the ball and they're going to get back to it. And they they have one running back coming off a foot injury. It doesn't, it's not, it's not great, man. You know, it's not great. Uh, ben mentioned Bijan Robinson for the uh, Bills earlier. 
I was on Cowboys, you know, should be looking to make a move up because especially once they had Cooks and Gilmore, they didn't really have a huge need in the draft except for that. And, and if that's the way their offense is going to go. Now, I haven't tracked all of their, you know, UDFAs. If they brought in a couple running backs that seem interesting or not, I'm sure they did. Um, so we'll see if anybody else pops. But from a running back standpoint, and just, again, this all stems back to Mike McCarthy taking over and what that's going to look like, I think it's tough. Um, I think it's tough. Ben, any other closing thoughts for you on, on Dallas here? Uh, on their, on their yeah, moves? I'm right there with you. You know, if they had gotten really aggressive and gone after Bijan Robinson, like you mentioned, like we were all pushing for him during the offseason, and then if they had, it a guy, had added a guy like John Michael Schmitz out of Minnesota at center, maybe in the second round of the draft this year, and all of a sudden now you've actually seen that you've got some pieces to do the bully ball, I'm okay with that. I'm all in, but I don't see where they've really done anything to change their roster to do what uh, he's talking about doing. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. Let's go ahead and talk about the draft now uh, for Dallas. So what did they do in round one? They take defensive lineman Mozzie Smith in round two. They take tight end Luke Schoonmaker. Uh, I didn't even realize till now back to back Michigan guys. Interesting. Uh, round three linebacker DeMarvion Overshone. Round four defensive lineman Valami Fahoko. Round five, offensive lineman Asim Richards. Round six, they had two picks, corner Eric Scott Jr. and running back Deuce Vaughn, who Ronan alluded to earlier. And round seven, wide receiver Jalen Brooks. Ben, when you look at this draft, just what stands out to you? Two players. A, a lot of it really didn't stand out at all, unfortunately. But the two players, Mozzie Smith, you and I both like him plugging up the middle. Mm -hmm. I think that helps Dallas so much. It's There's some other teams I wish had done this move that didn't, but Dallas did. When you've got all these edges flying upfield here, now you've got a guy who looks, you know, it's all projection-based, but he looks like he can really plug up the running game in the middle, help out your edgers, help out your linebackers, stuff up that run. And now that secondary has even more help in addition to the talent they've added in Gilmore. Now they don't have to worry about the running game as much. I absolutely love them bringing in Mozzie Smith. It wasn't their only move they could have done in the first round that I liked, but that was one that I did like. And then uh, y'all have already alluded to running back Deuce Vaughn here a couple of times. This this guy can run between the tackles, but this is not who you're adding when you're talking about we're going to get back to old school football. I, I really wish Deuce Vaughn had gone somewhere else where they really love gadget stuff, like maybe Philadelphia or Kansas City or San Francisco. <laughs> he ends up here on Dallas. I'm not sure how much gadget stuff they're going to use him for here because uh, he's perfect for take a run up the middle, then take a bunch of runs off to the side, catch a screenplay, and then you're never going to find him again. You know, uh, don't know. We'll see. But I, I, I like him. Ronan, what were your thoughts? Honestly, those two same guys really stood out to me um, for all the same reasons. Uh, Smith, he's going to be a great plug-and-play guy um, or a guy to plug up that middle for sure. And, uh, you know, regarding that defensive front, that's kind of what they were missing. Uh, they were able to get after the quarterback pretty successfully last year, uh, primarily thanks to uh, Micah Parsons. But in general, that defensive front is going to be a fun one to watch next year. I'm interested to see how much or how many snaps Smith gets uh, for Dallas. And then, you know, like you guys have been talking about, Deuce Bowen, um, you know, right, he's got the, the family ties. That, that's probably that I kind of like that spot for him. Um, yeah, he's not going to be uh, the run it up the middle six times in a row type of guy. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know. Having him there late round, an extra little gadget 
guy you can forget about in that offense. I like it. And then one more, uh, Overshone. Uh, he was a pretty pretty good linebacker for Texas last year, and uh, he hits very, very, very hard. Uh, pairing him up with LVE and the rest of those guys, that's going to be a fun one if he can get some snaps on the field next year. I'll talk about Deuce Vaughn for a second here because I – I mean, there's so much we could say that the the video for the the draft call was just incredible. I mean, you even see Jerry Jones get emotional. Who like we? How many draft calls has this guy made before? And and to to see that is is really really cool. But from a football standpoint, you know, he really fills exactly what Tony Pollard has done for this team for the last handful of years, right? And you know, we talk about hey, where can you be cost controlled? Hey, how much do you pay running backs? Hey, what do you do here? Um, this might not be a, he's going to make a huge impact this year, unless Tony Pollard really is just, uh, 70% this whole year because of coming off of the injury, but this might be a way for them to just keep costs down. He's the Tony Pollard moving forward. Right. So, so it might be more of a forward look, but yeah, they need, I still think they need somebody else to do something up the middle, but, uh, there, there are some running backs that are still out there. So maybe we, we wait and see kind of what happens with, with this team. I, I believe Leonard Fournette is still a free agent. Hunt's still a free agent. He's not really going to help in that aspect, but there there's still some guys out there that, that can run between the tackles. So we'll see what happens there for Dallas. Um, I like what they did. You guys mentioned two of them, Smith, Overshone, but also Fajoko. This team three times, you know, went to the well of, okay, defensive front seven, the only true weakness this team has from a unit standpoint and from a, a stylistic standpoint is stopping the run. And, you know, weakness is relative. They were, I think, fourth in, in rush defense DVOA last year or, or fifth. So uh, they're, they're doing okay, but they were 22nd in yards, yard, rushing yards allowed per game. So if you're going to point to a weakness defensively, yeah, that's always been the kind of thorn in their side. So to throw a couple stones at, hey, let's try to stop the run. Let's try and, and, and grab a couple guys who are going to help us there. We can do that. The one thing I did not like, though, was Schoonmaker, the tight end in the second round. Um, this was a guy I had like a mid to late day three grade on. And, and so, you know, we've, we've talked a lot, especially right around the draft where, hey, you know, once you get into like, especially day three, like you can't really quibble with your draft grades and, and all of that stuff. If you thought a guy was like a borderline fourth round pick, if he gets taken at the end of the second, like who cares? Teams don't really care about stuff like that at the end of the day. But man, this was like, so this is a deep tight end class. This was like the seventh best tight end on everyone's board. This was a fifth, sixth round guy in a lot of aspects. And he gets taken in the second round, gets taken ahead of Darnell Washington. Obviously that has to do with some injuries, but some other guys and just, and again, when, when you know, it, even if Ben and I differ on how much we like Pendershot and, and Ferguson, is this guy going to be any any better than either of those guys? And again, I like Scoomate. This isn't anything against him as a player. He might end up being a great player and all that. But from a from a draft process standpoint, I just I didn't I didn't get this. And, and this was just this is kind of where it gets to the weeds of like, oh, they just really wanted to go tight end in the first round, and they kind of didn't get opportunity they wanted so they wanted to make sure they got somebody so they, they reached a little bit again it doesn't hurt them too bad just because they didn't have many holes but i thought they could have done a little more to help themselves here um any other thoughts for you guys on, on the draft I, I think i think you guys said everything else that i was talking about i'm right there with you on that second round pick there were defensive backs i would have rather had um 
could have added some depth with the talent over the top. But there were tight ends I definitely would rather have had. If you add Darnell Washington to this Cowboys offense, now I think you I think you do have a level of physicality on that Cowboys offense and at least the potential. We'll see if it works out or not of, of catching passes. But it would remind me of those old Cowboys teams from the late 70s and early 80s who were very long and tall and strong. And adding Washington would have done more for the offense that they were doing with the defense here with the linebackers and the defensive tackles. Tucker Craft went ahead of, or went behind him. I, I don't I don't know, man. I don't know. They they just the Michigan whoever scouted Michigan uh, just really had a lot of sway. I guess I, I don't know. Ronan, any th- other thoughts for you on the draft? No, I'm I'm right there with you guys on Shoemaker. Um, you know, I, I hope it works out for him. But seeing his name in round two was definitely definitely a surprise. All right, let's do it. Let's rate this off season one to ten. Ronan, we'll go to you again. Hit us up. What do you got for Dallas? Yeah, I'm going to give them a seven because, yes, they don't have any glaring holes uh, at the moment other than at tight end. Um, it's What, how, what are we going to see from them? Can Hendershot or Ferguson you know, end up being something for them? Will Shoemaker step in right away, uh, even though he's a rookie, and you know, be a tight end one for them? Uh, that's you know, a bit of a question mark. And then running back, right? We still really don't know what they're going to do because they're all really small. And they say they want to go up the middle and old school football, let's run them over. And they have the offensive line to do it. But I don't know. That's a tough sell with Tony Pollard coming off of injury and Deuce Vaughn, who will quite literally get swallowed by the right defensive tackle. Like, yeah, so I'm giving them a seven. Ben, what'd you grade the Cowboys offseason? I'm stuck between an eight and a nine. Am I allowed to do an 8.5 or do I have nope. to pick one? No halvesies. No we don't do anything halfway here. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Well, I'm going with a nine. Wow. But in doing so, I'm going to ignore the fact that McCarthy is now calling the plays. Okay. I'm going to completely ignore that. All right. <laughs> so. Let me just really quick hit why I've got giving them a nine here on the on the offseason roster. They went after their all, all their biggest needs. We talked about that. It was stopping the run. It was linebackers. It was adding a truly gifted and experienced CB back there. Um, they added in a defensive tackle who we think can really stop the run. Then they tossed in another couple of guys that we think can certainly contribute to that. Then they added in that second wide receiver who's who was a difference maker. He's not just another guy that you added. He's an actual difference maker, a proven difference maker. So I, I really like what they did here in the offseason um, with Cooks and then with um, with Gilmore and then at least two of their draft picks uh, uh, starting basically with Mozzie Smith. So I really liked it. I didn't see a lot of foolishness going on here. It wasn't much of crazy stuff. I didn't see reaches and overpays and getting guys who were over the hill. I mean, I, I didn't see any of that, so I liked it. In spite of a couple of things I didn't like with their draft, I thought they really did a good job of making the roster significantly better without getting worse in too many spots. Um, still worried about tight ends? Yes, but, I, I mean, I like what they did here. Man, you guys are just so worried about tight end. I just, this is, uh, when did this become tight end you? I don't know. Someone called George Kittle. I don't know what's going on here. Um Ben, I'm going to take the opposite approach because I think going from Mike, going from Kellen Moore to Mike McCarthy as the play caller is something that can't be ignored. I think it's potentially the biggest move for this team. Um, 
this whole offseason. And and for that, I'm giving Dallas a six. I mean, I, I I love the Cooks and Gilmore moves. So that was already by itself in the seven, eight range. The draft was fine. Um, I think I gave it a B in my draft grades. That it might even be a little high. It's just there, it's good. There's nothing wrong with it, but there's nothing that makes me think it, it was a needle mover. It was all about Cooks and Gilmore. But I just worry about Mike McCarthy, man. I just worry about that drop-off and for what he wants to do matched with what his roster is telling us right now. I don't love it. it it's not a bad offseason, right? They didn't get worse, um, but I don't think they got a whole lot better either. So they're kind of just holding holding as steady as they can under the very calm and unwavering hand that is Mike McCarthy, which has never gone wrong for anybody in the past. Listen, you're you're right. Now, we can't ignore McCarthy. If I do ignore McCarthy, the roster definitely got better at CB and at wide receiver and I think at defensive tackle, which is all important. But you're right. If we throw McCarthy back in the mix here, yeah, we're going to drag that baby back down to a six, maybe a five. I mean, it, it could have that big of an impact. I don't think there's too many people out there that are too excited about um, McCarthy getting his fingerprints more on either side of the ball here. Ben, should we get to trivia? Let's get to the real stuff, man. What everybody's waiting for. <laughs> Time to step into the barbecue pit, everybody. We we got to come up with a a good. I, I got to find a good like sound cue or something like that to insert here. If anybody, if anybody out there thinks they have a really good podcast voice and they want to do some sort of like dark and scary intro for uh the 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 what did we call it? what did I just call it the pit Ben's barbecue pit whatever it is Ben's burning questions um hit us up. Phantom Football, uh, phantomfootballpod at gmail.com, at Phantom Football on Twitter. We'll do something. All right. I've got three more trivia questions tonight. Um, it, it's all football-related, and it's all got to do with uh, 10 years ago or even longer. So let's start with the first one. Y'all ready? Ready. Yes, sir. Okay, 2013, 10 years ago, okay, 10-year anniversary. We. I want to know. Which quarterback threw the most interceptions that season? Okay, I'm going to give you four choices, and I'm with the quarterback who threw the most interceptions in 2013. Here we go. Number one, Geno Smith playing for the Jets that year. Number two, Carson Palmer playing for the Cardinals that season. Number three, Joe Flacco playing for the Ravens. And number four, Eli Manning playing for the Giants. So 10 years ago... I've got four quarterbacks. I, I'll go ahead and give you a hint. They all threw a lot of interceptions that year. Okay, all four of them. <laughs> but I want the guy who threw the most. And I'll go ahead and give you the number two. This player threw 27 interceptions in 2013. Oh, God. <laughs> all right. I'm ready. All right. I let's changed my count. answer in my head three times, but I'm ready as well. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's cut it down. Three, two, one, zero. Enter those. Enter those. All right. Uh, Ronan says Carson Palmer. Simon says Eli Manning. And I'm double checking to make sure I got it right. Yep. Simon, you got it, buddy. I should have just went with my God. Ronan, I did the same thing as you because as soon as I heard Carson Palmer, right, even as a Steeler fan, you think about the Bengals years and how great he was. Yeah. But those Cardinals years, even though he was good, who was his quarterback? Who was his coach? It was Bruce Arians. Risk it for a bit. No risk it, no biscuit, right? Those guys throw interceptions. So I was with you until until Ben said Eli Manning. And then, no, 
that was all she wrote all right yeah but i, so, I was uh, with you on carson palmer that, that was a good one <laughs> ronan do you want to defend, defend your answer at all it was the no 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 hey simon just did it for me and i lost so you can't okay. you can't defend a loss <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Manning for the Giants threw 27 picks that year. Flacco and Palmer each threw 22 that year. They were second worst in the league. And then Geno Smith for the Jets that year threw 21 picks. He actually uh, played in all 16 games that season for the Jets. Okay, uh, let's move on to the next one. Y'all ready? Ready. Yes, sir. Um, keeping the follies in, in, in question here tonight in focus. Um 2013, again, most fumbles lost in – I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. Most fumbles, not most fumbles lost, most fumbles in 2013, okay? And they're all quarterbacks, again. So which guy not lost the most, which guy dropped it the most times? Here we go. Uh, number one, Peyton Manning. Number two, Robert Griffin III playing for Washington. Uh, number three, Russell Wilson playing for Seattle. And number four, Matthew Stafford playing for Detroit Lions. 2013, which quarterback actually put the ball on the ground the most times for fumbles in 2013? But I, if for, for the audience that might be wondering, uh, the, the running backs weren't even close to having as many fumbles as these quarterbacks had that year. So, uh, let me call it the list again. Uh, Peyton Manning, Russell Wilson, RG3, and Matthew Stafford. Ready. All right. I, I'm not confident in this answer, <laughs> but I think I am too. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Lock them in. Uh, I knew. It's going to be It's gonna be you. I, th I was in my head. There was no way. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, well, okay, so let, let me let the audience in on it here. Ronan picked RG3, okay? Simon picked Peyton, and it's neither guy, okay? Oh, thank God. All right, I'll take it. So I'm going to let y'all pick again, and I'll yeah, tell you the go, super many the guys. 50 -50. Okay? Mm -hmm. It's Matthew Stafford, and it's Russell Wilson, okay? Yep. So I'll, I'll let you guys pick again. I'll do a countdown. We'll try it, all right? Ready. Three, two. One, lock it in. All right. And this time you both picked Stafford and you're both right. <laughs> All right. Ronan, another week you can't beat me, man. How's it feel? Uh, you know, pretty much the same as the last couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bitter defeat. Hey, well, we're not done yet, are we? We're not I done. Mean, whatever happens, you're still oh, you're, you're still gonna be losing overall. Be, oh, what? A, hey, no, it's a today. It's you're, who's you're, winning today? You're counting on uh oh one and two. That's what you're that's what you're hoping for right now, man. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> that's the predicament I'm in. So that's the best outcome. You're right. Thank you for assessing the situation. Yeah, you got it. You got ben, it. take it you away. <laughs> Matthew Stafford uh, had 12 fumbles that year for the Lions. RG3 only played in 13 games, but managed 11 fumbles. Wow. Um, Peyton Manning and Russell Wilson each had 10. Those were the leaders in fumbles 
for that season. All right. Here's the final question of the night. Um, we are going back. Make sure I've got this correct here as I say it. Yeah, we're going back 100 years to oh, 1923. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 1923. Ben, ben, what was it like? What was it like? It was a little different back then. <laughs> What was the what was the podcast set up like back then? Um, yeah, uh, we basically just got bullhorn and shouted at each other. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but look, I still love my football even then. Okay, <laughs> even All back right. when it was just a piece of leather stapled yes. together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. Uh, I want to know who won the the title that year for what was called the NFL at the time, okay? Uh, 1923. Uh, your four choices are these. Uh, the Milwaukee Badgers, the Green Bay Packers, the Chicago Bears, and the Canton Bulldogs. Now, if you're wondering, maybe our audience is wondering, all four of these teams played that year, so there's no fake choices in here. <laughs> But uh, only one of them won the title, actually went undefeated that season by going 11-0-1. The choices are the Milwaukee Badgers, the Green Bay Packers, the Chicago Bears, the Hanton Bulldogs. It was a much more regional sport at the time, too. Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of Northwest teams and Midwest teams involved. Or Sorry, uh, Northeast teams and Midwest teams involved. All right, this might Ready. require a little more thinking. Ronan, you good, good to go, man? I'm good. All right, three, two, one, lock it down. All right, for the audience, Simon picked the Packers, the Green Bay Packers. Ronan picked the Chicago Bears, and neither one is correct. Ah, uh, all right, where are these other... <laughs> What were these two fake teams called again? What, what were the names of them? I didn't even listen to them. I know, right? <laughs> okay, so your your two remaining choices are the Milwaukee Badgers and the Canton Bulldogs. Milwaukee Badgers, Canton Bulldogs. Three more seconds and we'll lock it in. Three, two, one, pop it in. Uh, let's see. Simon picks the Milwaukee Badgers. Ronan picks the Canton Bulldog, and Ronan is right. <laughs> I was literally, I, I literally erased my answer right at the end. Ah, oh, stupid Bulldogs! Yes, All right, sir. another another tie, another tie. That's just horrible stuff. The worst. Yes, sir. That's all right. That's all right. In the in the podcasting halls where uh records are written they'll just they'll just trim off the tie section they'll just see you with zero wins and my one it's fine rolling before i feed the audience any more random names do you want to bask anymore in the glow of this victory you know Hi. i would just <laughs> like to thank you know my friends my family uh the nfl for being and the that's NFL. the music playing us off everybody uh thank you so much for listening to the phantom football podcast once again we will be back to you next tuesday to continue our off-season coverage make sure you're following us on twitter at phantom football make sure you're emailing the pod at phantomfootballpod at gmail.com if you want to do a voice intro for ben's barbecue pit ben's burning questions hit us up let us know um we can't wait to talk to you again 
next week. Everybody have a great week and weekend, and we will talk to you next time. Have a good one.